ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. This is the Game Changer Network, and we have a very special guest, and I didn't realize that we were neighbors. Uh, Clint Babcock is here with us, and he is the author of a a book that we're going to be talking about today, which is geared toward uh, people who want or need to sell. And I I say it that way because uh, some of you are salespeople. And some of you, like me, are uh, come uh, kicking and screaming to the table of needing to learn how to negotiate. And the title of the book is Negotiating from the Inside Out, a Playbook for Business Success. Clint, welcome. Uh, thanks for inviting me to join you, Chick. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, today is a treat because uh, as I sit and look at what happened in 2020, my business relies on the health of uh, the travel and events industries and people actually being face-to-face. So you can imagine what happened. And I'm going to take this off of the wall. This is a, an ornament that I gave to my board last year which uh, it's a picture of an eagle saying soar 2020, right? And so like, I have to go in and now mark out 2020 and put 2021. But one of the keys to that for me personally, uh, Clint, is sales. And um, as a a founder of a tech company, uh, most investors say, well, you know, you need to be the one selling, you know, you're the only one who can sell this. So I uh, am here today as student, uh, and and really wanting to learn uh, about how I really can turn this around, even though I don't feel like I'm the natural born salesperson. Clint, before we dive into the book, I wanna I wanna take a look at at your backstory, and I always like to prompt my authors to talk uh, really about what got you to the place where you would even think about writing a book to begin with, because a lot of people feel like they've got a book inside of them and wonder if. Mm-hmm be their path um okay. the other thing is is really uh did were you a natural born salesperson were you <laughs> the the paper boy or selling lemonade when you were a kid talk to us about that no the 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 only thing that was natural was i was third born right so i had two older brothers you, you too check uh yeah i had two older brothers so it was it was, you know, you're scrapping for just about anything and, uh, you know, anything you can get, you get the leftovers, right. As a third born. So, uh, so that would probably be the only natural abilities that I had. And, um, you know, if I were to dovetail then, Hey, what's the, what's the background? Usually when somebody asks me that, it's like, okay, how did you, you know, how do you get to where you are now? And, and there's always a, a wonderful story or, and, and that's ups and downs and trials and tribulations and failures and stuff that get you there. And the, and, and, and probably the, the quick story to bring you, bring you up on that is, no, I wasn't, I was a finance major in college coming out. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. And, and, and that's the accidental salesperson. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. Shoot, you know, I end up in sales, right? Nobody grows up. You're not, you know, those of you that have kids out there, you're not going, oh, I can't wait to see what you become. I, you know, I really hope you become a salesperson, Right. That's not the design that, you know, you're, you're, you're talking to your kids that are in the crib or they're growing up, going through elementary school. Oh, you're going to be a great salesperson, right? No. What does everybody want to be? Something exciting. 
Um, but but it's um, you know it led me that direction, and uh, and I got really fortunate to work for a, a technology company in the '90s, and uh, and the owner of that company uh, invested in Sandler training, in in professional sales methodology training, and uh, myself along with about 25 other salespeople went through almost two years of this training. And it just, it just hit me at the right time. I was, you know, mid twenties, it hit me at the right time. It shaped kind of what I thought about sales, which is, was the total opposite of what everybody thinks, right? Everybody thinks, oh, it's, 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 you know, manipulation, it's this, it's this. And what it did was it made, made it, it sales as a professional role. It's a trusted advisor kind of consultative methodology, which I really, geared on to. And, uh, and that I, I attribute uh, that to doing the whole corporate ladder thing. And then really what got me out of corporate America into, into Sandler was 2000 and 2001, the tech bust. Um, I was overseeing, uh, I was vice president of sales of a technology training company. And we spent 18 months to two years, right sizing, right, basically laying off Mm-hmm. Um, people and I, I laid off probably 60, 70 people through through an 18 month year period of time, and and it got to that point where it's like, okay, you know, had to do it, it had to be done, did it, but looked and said, you know, I don't ever want to be in this position later on in my life. So I, I was looking for an opportunity that would be an entrepreneurial opportunity, and I met a gentleman that had just opened up the Sandler office here in town, and. partnered up with him in 2005. And now fast forward, here we are 16 years later, and um, and we have a really good business. So that's the quick backstory on on what's gotten me into this business was the pain of laying off a bunch of really talented people that did a great job, but through no fault of their own, we had the right size. And uh, a lot of people got hung up in that in early 2000s, plus in the recession. Yes. I wanted to be a little bit in control of my own destiny. Well, interesting because I'm I am a born entrepreneur, and um, mm. you know, as I was mentioning uh, before we got on the air, uh, especially when you are a founder of a company and and the one inventing the technology, the investment community always says, you know, you need to go out, you need to be the number one salesperson. And every time I hear that, like, I just want to cry inside, right? And and so meeting someone like you is, is like absolutely a dream. And the funny thing is, we actually shared the same office building for mm-hmm. a number of years and probably went down and got a BLT sandwich down at that <laughs> little, uh, the little cafe there. Mm-hmm. And we probably stood in line next to each other. So it, it's just uh, really apropos that we're here today uh, to talk about this particular topic, which uh, is going to play such a big role in my life. Uh, I, I still don't look forward to it any more than I did, but I have a feeling after today, I will be much more comfortable uh, stepping into that role. And, and so I'm so grateful for you taking your time uh, today. Oh, my pleasure. With us. So let's get back to why you wrote the book, right? Because, you know, there's an interesting thing that happens when you write a book. And I, I wrote my first book about travel technology back around the 2000 timeframe. And, and I've been a travel technologist uh, my whole adult life. I, I was uh, 
kind of raised and cut my teeth with companies like Sabre, which was a part of American Airlines at the time that I worked there that had the technology that launched Travelocity. And then I moved to WorldSpan, which was owned by Delta Northwest and TWA. And they were the foundational technology for Expedia, Orbitz, and Priceline. And so I learned from that business from the ground up. And when I wrote my first book, I'll never forget. Uh, and as you know, as an author, when you're writing, you read it thousands of times, literally. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and uh, the funny thing that happens when you actually get the book in your hand for the first time, and I, I happen to read mine on an airplane, mm -hmm. uh, is I read it in cover. And again, I had read every chapter you know, sure. so many times I read it and I couldn't believe that I wrote it. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I mm -hmm. thought, wow, I know a lot about this topic. Mm -hmm. And you know, I know because you just shared with us the length of time and how much time your previous company invested in you of making sure that you understood this topic. Why this book? Why now? Uh, and how did you feel the first time you had it in your hands? Yeah. So why this book? So what are we always looking for? We're looking for problems and issues, right? Why would somebody read this or why would somebody need another negotiation book, right? So I've read a decent amount of negotiation books and whenever I'm training companies, um, you know, and we get into this topic, one of the biggest things that I see and, and I saw was an issue was uh, we teach a methodology, we teach a process. And then when we would get to this topic of negotiation, I would ask the question, hey, what's your negotiation process? What's that look like? And this was a gap. There was no consistent, no method. It was, well, we, you know, we usually find out what are they looking for? Can we meet that? Their negotiation process was a culture of discounting. And <laughs> I kept seeing that. I kept seeing that there wasn't anything that was that, you know, that was, so we would work with them. We'd put in the process and such. So, so one of the things that is a great exercise that I ask a lot of CEOs to do and chief revenue officers is take a look at your quotes and proposals over the last 12 months. How many of them came in at your price, your margins right out the door versus had to be negotiated. And whatever that gap is, that's costing you margin. Are we going to fix 100% of it? No, but can we fix 50, 60% of it? Can we make your people stronger negotiators? So, so when I started looking into more of the topic and what's out there and available, I saw some wonderful books and read some wonderful books from CIA and or FBI hostage negotiators. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, uh, Harvard, academic stuff that do research and such. Great stuff. But what I didn't see as much was a process. I saw a lot of tactics and stuff, but I didn't see where's the methodology? Where's the process that says, this is what you do first. This is what you do second. This is what you do third. And that was the gap that caused me to say, you know something, I, I want to put this out there for the business professional. Um, if you're doing, you know, geopolitical negotiations for the world or for your country, this is not the book to read. There's other great books to do that. If you have a business and your business exists to, to work with customers and to sell products and services, this is the book to read because it's gonna give you that structure and it's gonna give you that process of how to go through a negotiation system. 
So that's what caused me to read it. And then the, you're, you're asked about the first time. I'll tell you, you know, the first time reading through is not as memorable as the first time I saw the cover. When I got a picture, you know, because I'm not the creative one. I'm not the one that's going to say, oh, I want the cover to be designed like that. Not my area of expertise. The first time I saw the cover was the first time it was like, oh, this is real. Now there's a cover, right? Uh, no, I know my, my book, The Game Changer. I, yep. Now I had a different perspective because I knew I wanted the mm. chessboard with the dominoes on it because The okay. Game Changer, when I saw that picture, it's like, that's my picture, yeah. right? my book cover and I had interviewed enough authors that I wasn't even sure if the publisher would go for the title that I wanted mm. right? because it's one of the questions I used to always ask people before I had published this particular book which was my first uh it's a an allegorical business novel mm-hmm. and and uh it's funny because it, it is based on Rocky Point which is where your offices are and and so the story uh you know actually unfolds there um, but it, you're right when you first see that. And I remember opening the box and having, you know, 20 copies of my book and, <laughs> and yeah, that was, it was a pretty mm-hmm. thrilling moment. Well, let's dive into the book and yeah. I love it, uh, Clint, that you actually, uh, the title of the first chapter of this book is start with the mirror. And what you're saying is that negotiating actually does begin inside, right? It's an inner game. Mm-hmm. And I, I just with another interview where I was talking about mindset versus heart set. And I think it, it does really have to begin in the heart. You have to look in the mirror and believe that you can do it. Well, it's, so it's believe, that. Well, well, put it this, um, one, one of our Sandler rules is, uh, you know, at least sayings is prescription without diagnosis is malpractice right? Prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. So if you take any topic, the first thing you have to do is self-awareness. How do I approach this topic? What's my skill set? How do I, how do I look towards it? So let's take negotiations. The first thing I want to try to figure out with myself, with other people is, well, what do you, what's your belief? What's your, what, what do you feel about when you're, when you have to, or when you're put in a negotiation situation, what's that look like? What's that feel like for you? And if you don't know how you're wired to deal with that, then you're going to haphazardly go through it and you're going to end up winging it because you, you are just going to be emotionally tied into it instead of having that process. So the first thing we do is spend a few chapters talking about how are you wired? How do you look at yourself when it relates to negotiations? And we outline a few key behaviors. And one that I'll mention is this, conflict. How do you deal with conflict? Think about it, negotiations. They want something, you want something, right? Which automatically causes conflict. And if, and I've had enough people go, oh my gosh, I am just a conflict avoidance kind of person. Well, if you're a conflict avoidance kind of person, you're sure as heck not going to do very well on negotiations. So that's the first thing is element is understanding how you're wired. And then you can get into assertiveness, competitiveness, some of the other behaviors, you know, and, and, and as people start kind of thinking about themselves in that way, that's why they probably cause the, the, the discounting and cause the giving in and don't recognize where that's really coming from. And instead, they got to recognize this is coming from my wiring 
And I got to make sure that I understand it so then I can fix it when I'm under pressure of a negotiation situation. Talk to me about the drama triangle. That, that was something that really interested me. Yeah. All right. So the best setup for those that are listening, think about a triangle. And then let me think about, it's called the drama triangle. Technically, it's called Cartman's triangle. That's with a K. But think about the best way I can describe this is, is um, think about a superhero. There's a superhero that you like, right? So in any drama or any superhero, there's three positions, three roles that are at play. There is a persecutor. So this is the person in, let's say, uh, you know, um, well, let's go with Infinity Wars, right? You've got the persecutor, uh, Thanos, that is trying to destroy the world or trying to blow something up. So you got the evil villain. And then you have the rescuer, which is going to be the Avengers or going to be Superman, Spider-Man. You got that person that's trying to save the world. And then you have the victim, right? So, so every single superhero movie you ever watch, every single thing, every, that, those are the roles. That's why that's called the drama triangle. And the idea there is to understand dynamic wise in a negotiation, what's happening there. And those are all emotional roles. Persecutor, hey, I need this, right? That's coming from your prospect. If that role pushes you into your rescuer role, then guess what? You're going to go, oh, okay, well, let me see if I can do that for you. And now you're going to try to rescue the persecutor. In other words, give in, right? So it's all emotion. So what we do is we go, look, make sure you stay out of that drama triangle. Stay logical. Stay away from any of those roles. It's not going to be in your best interest. Worse, you play victim. Oh, they, you know, this is XYZ company. They're our best customer. We got to give them what they're asking for. There's nothing we can do. And now you're in that victim role. So the idea is to teach and make sure people realize these are roles that you play. And when I teach this, I'll ask this question and I'll say, you guys, you can, you can rhetorical or you can answer your question. It's totally up to you. How many of you have ever been in a dysfunctional relationship? Right. And you can imagine certain people raise their hand. Other people kind of put them up a little bit, but they don't want to. Right. And then I'll, and then I'll explain to them, look, in a dysfunctional re relationship, you've seen this happen persecutor says something you either persecute as well now you're into an argument or then you try to rescue them well you know i'm sorry i won't ever do that or you jump into your victim role and now you're all playing these roles back and forth and that's why it's so dysfunctional instead of trying to keep the emotions out so in negotiations what we're trying to bring people back to is watch your negotiations or watch your watch your emotions it can be either a source of liability or an asset depending upon how emotionally tied you get into the situation. Right. And so what separates the amateur negotiator from the tactical and the strategic negotiator? Okay. Amateur negotiator would be somebody that rarely ever negotiates, doesn't do it a whole lot, has no process, hasn't studied it, hasn't looked into it. It's the everyday person that, um, that just says, oh yeah, I negotiate. Oh, every four years I go negotiate my car. You know, okay, cool. Probably an amateur negotiator, nothing much to it. A tactical negotiator does it routinely. Tactical negotiations are a lot of times people in sales, people in uh, CFOs, C COOs, CEOs that have to negotiate from time to time. 
and have a semblance of a pattern and of a way that they go about it. They know some of the gambits and some of the, some of the what we call the deal makers dozens. The strategic negotiator has a process to negotiate either for themselves or against you. They know, they've studied it, they've gone through the path. These are the folks that if you deal with them, they're the folks that are in procurement departments that have gone off to go to classes to learn how to negotiate and they know the moves and they specifically are doing them by design in order to get the outcome they're looking for. Right, right. So you you alluded to the dealmaker's dozen. Are these mechanisms uh, within the playbook or are they the things that we do but maybe shouldn't be doing? (laughs) No, no, no. The way that I look at this is if, if I could show you a, uh, a competitor's playbook, a competitor's, you know, like, um, you know, if I could take an NFL team and go, okay, you're going to play this NFL team. Here's their playbook. This is what right. they're going to be doing against you. You'd have a better chance of winning. So what the deal makers does and does. And we're hoping that Tom Brady's doing that right <laughs> it, now it, with ex- uh, Rodgers and the Packers. <laughs> well, you better watch that because I know the Patriots have been allegedly accused of stealing signs and signals. So we don't want to go there. <laughs> But, um, but, but yeah, to that extent, if I see what somebody's doing to me as a move or as a tactic, now I can put my counter to it. So the deal makers dozens are things like, um, uh, like your competition is cheaper, right? That kind of move. If you're selling something and they go, Hey, you know, your competition came in, you know, a little bit more, um, hot potato, hot potato is, Hey, uh, chick, my, I'm sorry, but my budget got, got, got cut by 20%. Um, what can you do for me? That's making my problem, your problem. And now what am I trying to do? Rescue you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it could be, give me your best and final offer, right? So that's a move. Hey, you know, just by the way, when you send me over your proposal, just make it your best and final offer. And then you go do whatever you need to do to put that together. Now they still come back and try to negotiate you down. Right. So it's really making sure that, hey, these are the top dozen moves that are going to be used against you. You better A, B, make sure that you recognize it. B, have a system to work your way through that negotiation tactic that is being used against you. Or for somebody that needs some, they can use those in, you know, to, to negotiate on the company's behalf. So if somebody read this from, let's say, a CFO's perspective, that's never going to be selling anything to anybody but wants to negotiate against contracts that are coming in for his or her company. Now you can look and go, yeah, this would be a great tactic to use against this, this company right now. And if that company doesn't know how to negotiate, he's going to win out more so than he's going to lose out. Right. So, so do I come up with my own master playbook against those deal makers doesn't, is that what I need to do as a, as a leader? Absolutely. So here's what, there's a dozen. Most, when I'm teaching this to companies, I'll say, look, what are the top two or three you guys here in your world? And the sales teams know, they know. They, they go, oh, we hear the competition's cheaper. We hear this, we hear that. So they know. Now we take my system, we take the Sandler negotiation system. We go, okay, what's this going to look like and sound like when they give us this, this uh, gambit, if you will? And that's why we work on. So now when that happens, 
they got it locked and loaded. They know exactly how they're going to work their way to get through that, that move that's being made by a buyer. So then in, in supercharging your own playbook, uh, where do you find your sources of leverage? And, and if you don't have the resources to put your people through two years of Sandler training, um, you know, what, what are the things that you can do to begin to have leverage in those negotiations once you have prepared against those top things that you run up against? Well, good question. That's, that's the... Um... Look at this, the back end. I, I, the book's written in three sections. First is inside out, looking inward. Then it's understanding the system and the playbook. And then it's supercharging that playbook. So the first thing is, is I would really dive into the system. And it's a three-step system. The three-step system is, first thing is acknowledge what they, what they put out there. They acknowledge that they've asked you for something. And then reassure them that your solution, the proposal you put together is exactly going to take care of their problem. And then ask them a question. And that allows you to do the ultimate, no, I'm not giving you anything without saying the words no. It starts to create distance between what they asked for and what might be eventually step three, which would be a concession. So, because that's the thing, most of the time people don't know what to say first. And what the mistake that I see a lot of people make is they, their first move when asked for something is to redesign the deliverable, right? Well, hey, you know, something we can take something out. They immediately start to go to take something out or to change the deliverable, which is not what you want to do. They, they did not ask you to change the deliverable. They're asking you about price or terms or things like that. So they like what they put together. They're just trying to figure out, do I have the best deal that I can get? So first move, acknowledge, reassure, ask them a question. Second move is you got to struggle. You got to make them feel like they are asking for the world and you're just not necessarily able to give it to them. Because if they get something too easily and too freely, they're going to come back and ask for more. They're going to realize, okay, there's more on this to go. We're not done right. yet. So you got to give them that. And then the third step is concessions. And here's the thing that, that I don't even like that word. And I've been starting to change the words, but everybody gets it. Everybody understands what that means. I, I would rather have them look at it as adding value. Instead of taking something away, what can you do to add value to the deal? Because maybe the, the price, they're trying to negotiate on the price and you don't want to come off the price. So, which might be a good thing. What can you add to that deal to make them feel good like they've gotten something? Mm -hmm. And that is the first move of concessions, which is don't concede anything, right. add something to the deal that's going to be of value. So that's the system. And then the supercharger playbook is understanding things like questioning, understanding the sources of leverage that can be created mm -hmm. or Leverage or liability, right? Assets or liability. So you got to ask yourself, well, who needs this more? Do they need this more or do I? If I need it, right? And, and we're, it's well, it sounds... and, I, and I will tell you, that's our hardest thing because again, as, a, as an earlier stage company, I mean, we're very mature from our, our technology perspective, but we're not mm -hmm. where we want to be commercially. So uh, one, one of the challenges, and you know, I look at sources of leverage and, and 
you you end the book on an interesting note of talking about those things that undermine negotiations. And I actually believe, and and maybe this is just me trying to get out of sales again, <laughs> is that being the CEO actually does undermine my negotiations because I can't, you know, say, uh, oh, hey, I don't have the authority to do this because right. clearly I do, right? Yep. And and uh, so what what are those errors that do undermine negotiations, and what what is the best way to counteract that? Yeah. So so some of them are are understanding emotions, right? So that can, if I get emotionally involved in this, that makes me do silly stuff. That makes me, it makes us, you know, too tied into it. So sometimes we need to pull in a third party, third party person, right? Even though you can't, it's hard for you to use the higher authority move. You could say, look, I've got a partner. I got to run this past him or her. This is something we make decisions on, you know, and, and play that that way. So that's one. Who needs it the most is going to be another one is to really look at. And here's what usually causes us to need it more than they do, our lack of our pipeline. Yes. Whatever else we have going gives us strength or causes us weakness to do that. Relationship. Think about it this way. As a source of leverage, would you negotiate harder or softer that you had a strong relationship with? And predominantly you would negotiate softer, right? If I like you, if I develop that relationship with you, I've gotten to the point where I trust you. I'm not gonna wanna disrespect you by trying to negotiate something now that we're down getting to the deal, getting done because I've earned, you've earned that trust from me. So people that run into negotiations way too quick and too fast for one reason or another, they don't have a relationship. So therefore it's easy. It's easy to negotiate with a stranger, right? So it's those kind of things that just really help us make sure that we're, we're watching out. And then the last one, skill, skill. How do you look at your own skill base and go, am I, do I think that I've got more skill than the person I'm negotiating with. And that will either give you strength and weaknesses. There's a, there's a, a, a book that I, uh, that I read um, that talked about the law of requisite variety, the law of requisite variety. And that's the person or the entity that has more moves and more alternatives than the other person will win in most instances. So when it comes down to skill, how confident do you feel going into a negotiation situation. And if you feel like you've studied it, you feel like you, you've got a path, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna be an asset for you versus a liability when you're across the table. Or for the most part, now that we're doing a lot of virtual negotiations across the Zoom or email for that matter. So Clint, my my final question to you is like, can this CEO be saved, right? I told you <laughs> at the beginning that, you know, I feel like I was standing in a different line when God was handing out uh, sales and, and negotiation. And and can it be taught? Can, can I learn and master um, these skills enough to really break down um, you know, the, the things that cause sales not to move forward because it, yeah. my business definitely depends on it. And I know mm -hmm. I need to negotiate like my business depends on it because it does. Yeah. 
All right, so let me give you an answer you probably weren't expecting. Um, depends. And, and let me, because Sandler training, 270 locations around the globe, largest sales and leadership training company in the world. Hmm, if we can't train people to, to the, we wouldn't exist. But here's the deal. Here's what I, here's what you wouldn't expect. I would have to say, well, are you trainable? Okay. If somebody's trainable, coachable, and wants to do it, absolutely they can learn. And the reason why I put that out there and not, are you trainable chick or is anybody, anybody trainable? We all know, we all know people in our lives that we've worked with before that we can absolutely point out and go, that person's just not trainable. Right. So those folks, no way I can't teach them anything because they don't want to learn. They don't want to learn. They're not going to apply it. They're not going to get out of their comfort zone in order to do it. But somebody that does, that's coachable, trainable, that's willing to, willing to learn something different and new, that's, that's why we exist. So, um, so here's the question I get asked a lot, which you're kind of asking, Hey, you know, is, you know, are, are there natural born salespeople or are they all taught? No, there absolutely are natural born salespeople that, that just by their wit, their charisma, their humor, who they are, their, their persona, absolutely never needs a bit of training in their life. They'll do great. But then there's the rest of us, right? <laughs> that, um, that, that need the combination. A question I'll ask a lot is, hey, is sales and or negotiation for that matter, is it an art or a science? And it makes people think, right? And sometimes people will give me one answer than the other. And of course, the, the true answer is, well, it's both. The art, the art is your, your smile, your wit, your charisma, your humor, your experience, your background that nobody else can ever bring to the table. That's you. The science is you better have a path and a system you're following otherwise you're just going to be throwing art in. And guess what is really interesting about art? Some people like your art, some people don't. Right. But the process is something you can always pressure test to and make sure, hey, if I follow this process with my art, now I can pressure test why I win business and why I lose business instead of not ever knowing, huh, wonder why this person didn't like my art. Okay. So hopefully that helps answer your question. Well, it does. Uh, we have been talking to Clint Babcock. He is the author of Negotiating from the Inside Out, a playbook for business success. And if you're going to go out and change your game today and you're responsible for getting things done for your company, whether it's selling products or services or just negotiating to keep your clients happy, which can be a, a client services role, uh, you really need to read this book. Uh, it provides lots of practical tools. And Clint, thank you so, so much for taking the time today. Uh, it has been informational for me and it, it makes me really want to learn. Uh, you know, I do hope that I'm trainable. Uh, of course, my preference is always just hiring the best people to do the job and finding that person who loves sales and is brilliant at it. And uh, I, I continue to pray for that for my business. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thanks for inviting me to be on with you, Chuck. I really appreciate it. You've been you've been a delightful person to get to know and talk to. So uh, anything you need. Oh, terrific. All right. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Oh,
like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.